Welcome back to another episode of the Shift Drink Podcast. I'm Ed Rudisell. Uh, we're still working remotely due to the coronavirus, um, but it's opened up a lot of potential uh, guests for us today. And nothing more perfect than being able to join up with a couple of people that are outside of the state of Indiana. Um, and so today I've got David Mandel of the Bardstown Bourbon Company. And I'm sorry, Randy, how do you pronounce your last name? It's Prossy. All right, Randy Prossy. We are talking about the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, which... It's a weird time to be talking about a festival, gentlemen. Would you mind just, I guess, giving me your uh, position with the festival and what we're doing here? Because I know, David, you're also kind of involved in the bourbon world as well. Sure. I'm the, the chairman of the Kentucky Bourbon Festival and uh, the co-founder of Bardstown Bourbon Company and have been involved in the community here for quite some time. And Ed, I could argue that this is an ideal time to be looking ahead to festivals and people coming out of the, these dark days and there's so much pent up demand and energy and excitement about people being able, you know, they've taken it for granted uh, for so long. Now they cherish those opportunities that we're hoping that next September we'll have opportunity to, to bring everyone together again and celebrate. Well, I want to touch on that exact point a little bit later in the show, but I do think that this is kind of a unique opportunity that it's given us, I, again, trying to find silver linings. We were chatting a little bit before the show about, you know, entrepreneurial spirit that we've seen out of this and kind of the ingenuity, the innovative uh, nature of restaurateurs. And, you know, obviously you guys have had to do that as well with the festival. Um, but I guess we should probably go back to the beginning. Like, literally, I'm kind of what I consider part of bourbon country. I mean, Indiana and kind of the... the surrounding state you guys are a very very close drive for us so if we decide to go to the, on the bourbon trail for the day we can leave in the morning and be back at home in the evening and i guess you know i've taken that for granted most of my professional career and you know i have friends outside of the country and in asia and stuff they're like oh my god i can't believe you know you've been to you know you've seen heaven hill or whatever you know and that they, they're just blown away by i'm like yeah it's just over there so um you guys, um, this festival has been happening for quite a while. Um, give me a little bit of history. Uh, you, uh, we talked about earlier, but we were, didn't have hot mics. Uh, this is gonna, about to be the 30th anniversary, or is the 30th anniversary? This is the 30th anniversary, and it's a remarkable history. It's an incredible festival. Um, and it started years ago as really as a great uh, event and party for the executives in the bourbon industry. And then it grew into an event that kind of brought the employees and expanded from there. And as, as the festival and as bourbon has evolved over the last 30 years, we, you know, we've been looking at how do we change the festival and how do we make adjustments to keep up with and stay ahead of the trends? And that's kind of where it began and how we got into making some really significant changes that you're going to get to see this year. And it's unfortunate that we had COVID um, because it did set us back a little bit. But, you know, thanks to the incredible ingenuity of Randy Prossy, who you're going to get to hear from here a lot. Uh, Randy, I'll tell you just a little history. Randy, we brought Randy in as we were looking to revamp the festival. And Randy's got an incredible background. We started with, we need a leader that knows how to run festivals. And oh, Randy I saw the resume. Ridiculous. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable, right? He built the Gettysburg Beer Festival, ran the Wisconsin State Fair and Derby Operations. And that's where we started. And it's been an incredible year and a half together so far. Yeah, I, I started off as a, as a volunteer. You know, I wanted to help out my little small town festival by doing something. And then 32 years later, it's right. a career. So. Well, that's how it works, right? usually. Uh, you were pointing to the back. You've got all these really cool things hanging behind you. Um, what are the, the boxing gloves on the wall back behind you? Is that an event that you operated? Uh, 
This one here is the Sammy Sammy Hagar. I'm a big Sammy Hagar Van Halen fan. I used to be a concert photographer and worked for a couple different uh, guitar makers. And the one next the one next to it is Joe Frazier and Evander Holofield. Had a hometown had a hometown boy that got injured uh, uh, in a in a fight, and we had a fundraiser for him. So I coordinated getting Evander and Joe Frazier in, and, and uh, so there's a couple of mementos from that. Wow, that that's. Quite. <laughs> you do have an insane resume. That wasn't the, the guitar stuff, the boxing stuff. None of that was on there. I saw the State Fair, Churchill Downs, all that. Um, so as you kind of came on to the Kentucky Bourbon Festival, I mean, you were able to bring quite a lot of professionalism and, and like background to the to the festival, I would assume. Well, and, and pretty varied. I mean, I grew up on what is now a sixth generation family dairy farm. So we we're talking before we went live here about you know how the urban sprawl and how farmland is kind of getting eaten up. That's going on. I'm dealing with that with my family right now uh, at home. But so, I mean, from a work ethic standpoint, dairy cows don't wait. You know, it's twice a day, seven days a week. So uh, I didn't I hated it when I was a kid. Just be candid. All my friends were city kids that got vacations and swimming pools and air conditioning and so I kind of was upset about that, but it really has served me well in my career and that the work ethic and a lot of these events and festivals are evenings, weekends and, and holidays and so forth. So, um, but yeah, so it, but it's been, it's been fun. Um, I, I've gotten a chance to see uh, the, the agricultural side of things to the state fair, but in a modern, you know, contemporary setting in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, a very urban setting where there was pressures of being relevant and, and elevating the programming quality, um, but still being sensitive to the heritage. I went to Gettysburg, which is, as you know, the battlefield and everything. The entire city is a battlefield. So you have to be contemporary. There's the food and the entertainment that is contemporary and it's art scene that's struggling to be known outside of those three days of relevancy during the anniversary. Um, so it was the contemporary Gettysburg set against the backdrop of all the heritage and history. And it's exactly the same thing we're, we're bringing into Bardstown is you've got hundreds of years of, of distilling heritage and a lot of family traditions, generations have been, uh, born, raised, supported, lived and died doing the distilling. And, but yet there's a contemporary community and a contemporary industry that's just screaming to get out. And that's, that's kind of where David and I started this journey a, a year ago now. So you said uh, 30 years ago, this is the anniversary now. <clears throat> now, that is kind of an interesting, uh, I, I guess, time because it is about the time that we've seen within that, the explosion of craft cocktails, the explosion of craft spirits. Uh, don't have to preach that to you there, David. Um, and then on top of that, um, bourbon has just you know gone wild. I remember hearing some interviews, I, I believe it was with Eddie Russell or Jimmy Russell talking about the 80s and how like, you know, they were throwing everything at the wall, just trying to sell anything, you know. And I remember because my dad collected like the canter bottles from the 70s that were like all the different funny shapes. And like you couldn't give the stuff away back then. And now, you know, everybody's chasing after the next new thing. Um, and then, of course, all of the old amazing things. Uh, and so like your festival has kind of grown at the same time, kind of alongside all of those happenings. Is that like and you know what's interesting? What's interesting about it, Ed, is that while the festival has grown, what we want to make sure and what we're focused on is that what the consumer is looking for is also really captured in the festival. And I think that's the one area where we really, really um, we're in need of some improvement. And so, for all your listeners out there, you know that have been to the festival or have not been to the festival before, you know, I would encourage them to really to please come down this year because you're going to see something. That is, you know, very, uh, very different. And so 
what we're doing is we're creating more interactions between people and the brands and bourbon. And so you're now going to be able to have a whole new model. You're going to be able to go around, sample directly from the booths on the lawn. Uh, we are providing a whole new educational experience that is going to be under the, the main tent. We're bringing in and building a vintage whiskey auction that is going to be a highlight of the festival. And we're incorporating the great barrel rolling competition right into the center of the festival. And so Randy has relooked at how we set up our economic structure, you know, how do we get better engaged? And then how do we get all of these craft bourbon uh, distilleries and craft distilleries from all over to participate? And that's where we're seeing so much excitement. Yeah, you do have a lot of um, like, I mean, the, the area and region which you're located in, I guess, makes that probably a little easier to twist everyone's arm to come on over for a festival. Not a horrible drive, but again, it's it's a pretty big time commitment. So, I mean, what can everybody expect when they show up to the festival? You know, you said it's been evolving and that it kind of started out as a way for a bunch of executives to hang around and chit chat and, you know, drink bourbon, which, you know, that's honestly the impression I think that a lot of people have of bourbon and whiskey festivals. They're, they're old white guys sitting around smoking cigars and, and, you know, they're all kind of talking with one another. And it's kind of see if you're an outsider, you feel like an interloper into this kind of whiskey world where everybody's an expert completely changing that and I'll, and Randy take it away because he has been on the you know the forefront of this I had the benefit of the board and the industry kind of realizing that the the industry has gotten very sophisticated and the consumer has gotten very sophisticated and that we uh, were lagging behind David kind of alluded to that so in some ways the new relationship that I have with the board I'm kind of the fast forward button on the remote and I'm getting us up to not not just sinking but actually getting ahead. Um, to showcase some of that innovation that is so prevalent in the industry right now. So, but people at the end of the day, they want a unique experience and we need to deliver an experience that people can't get it anywhere else, or at least can't get it easily somewhere else. So I learned a lot from the craft beer industry where you might have a Sam Adams who created that category, really, in all due respect, all of these craft people are, are, should take their hat off to the, what Sam Adams is doing. But when you're doing a craft beer festival, you don't want to have a barrel of, of the summer, you know, the Boston lager sitting there that everyone has that, that hurts your credibility. So what we, what I needed to do is talk to Sam Adams and have them bring something that you, consumers can't get anywhere else. You can be in the festival, but bring something new and different that people can get turned on to. And that's the same thing we're going to do with these distilleries. Now, obviously it's easy to do that with the crafters. And there's, I think, 68 different distilleries just in the Commonwealth of Kentucky. So we've got so many more distilleries that we haven't even touched yet to get them uh, involved. But even the larger, the more heritage legacy type distilleries know that this is going to be a venue that they need to bring something special, limited release kind of things. The master distillers standing there for an hour with four bottles. And when those four bottles are gone, the consumers can, you know, that's their sampling opportunity and kind of build some anticipation uh, throughout the festival. But at the end of the day, David and I have agreed from before day one, do fewer things better and do it, do it the best that we can and offer experiences that people can't get anywhere else. So those are the two kind of the foundational points that we're, we're uh, building on. So very excited about it. And we had it done for this year and, and COVID we, we pivoted to virtual. So at least we showcased a little bit about what we plan on doing, but obviously our, our mind is already on 2021 and how we're going to execute this and, and make this vision uh, a reality for everyone, distilleries and the consumer. 
And Ed, let me just kind of highlight for what, what Randy is talking about there too, but just envision you're in the bourbon capital of the world. You've got all of the great distilleries right there and you're going onto a lawn. And now on that lawn, you have booths from every major distillery, the craft distilleries, you can walk around. You can now, you're gonna have a ticket, it's 21 and older. It's a serious bourbon festival. You're gonna be able to try all their products and then the unique offerings that they bring. You're gonna have real great food. We moved away from some of the carnival food in the past that we're gonna have chef demonstrations. We're gonna have an educational tent. We're gonna have a cocktail lounge. We're gonna have the whiskey, you know, vintage whiskey auction the barrel rolling competition, but it's all going to be in this central, exciting area. And then as this grows, the distilleries will have their own events that are satellite events you know, around this, some like we've done in the past, but you're really going to build this energy in this center right in the heart of the bourbon capital of the world. And you cannot get this experience anywhere else. Certainly not. I'm a big rum geek and I hit uh, festivals as much as we can and some kind of you know live and die and change. And those are kind of the same things that you see in the rum world happening, um, you know, is that it's, it's either very industry heavy or very consumer heavy. And the differences between those two, it's very hard to walk that line because, you know, the industry heavy, like you said, we want all the limited crazy bottlings coming from, you know, Jamaica or whatever, or Barbados. And, but, and, you know, the, because of the kind of misperceptions of rum, the industry focused ones just end up being a, you know, Malibu drunk festival. And so, you know, then the people that are there to learn don't actually learn anything. They just go there to get samples. And so, like, the educational aspect is fun. That is a huge point. And the thing that I learned, again, from the craft beer, early on, there were a couple of really good ones. And then a couple more good ones. And then everybody saw the, the money that could be made at a brew festival. So everybody started doing it as their fundraiser and their answer for their shortcomings in the Chamber of Commerce or the little nonprofit you know, Main Street groups. Hey, let's throw a beer festival. And what was happening is they were turning into street parties and nobody was taking away anything. And you could walk around and drink as many beers as you could in four hours and it, it got ugly and it, and it gave the industry as a whole kind of a bad name. So we're being very sensitive to how, how are we managing the responsibility side of things. Uh, the business model has to make sense to where it's not just our motivation isn't to generate revenue. It's to showcase the industry and it's to, to uh, allow those consumers a one stop shop where they can they can try new things, which is, you know, distilleries are really excited about new people and the sips to lips interaction. So uh, my grandfather was brand loyal from the day he could drink till the day he stopped drinking, you know, and, and, but now people are wanting to experiment and, and experience new things. And with all the new finishings that are going on, you know, prior to going to into the bottle, it's just so exciting. Such a great time for us I, to be doing. I find what we're that doing. that's kind of exactly where most of us are, you know, and we're about what, not quite 15 years into kind of the craft cocktail revolution. So again, we're looking at things that a, a lot of, you know, so-called connoisseurs would, would scoff at in the past that we're now we're making cocktails with some of these, you know, higher end bourbons on top of that people are starting to you know i'm on the user end <laughs> so we're in, in bars and restaurants and people are more educated about what they're drinking and so they are looking for that experience of not just being able to taste it but having that interaction with the people to make it and I, I think that for me especially i mean that's what i love about it going to a festival that will i will drive multiple states away if it means that i could sit 
into a, a masterclass or a one-hour seminar and, and really learn about the process because it's, it's fun to understand what you're drinking and how it was made. That's so important, Ed. And, you know, and one of the things that we did at Bardstown Bourbon Company, and I'll tell you, we, we created what I would say is one of the most interactive experiences on the trail with an integrated restaurant, visitor center, distillery. And architecturally, it's beautiful. Uh, well, thank you. But, you know, the consumer, you know, is valuing experiences now more than things. And so how do you create that truly authentic, transparent, you know, experience that engages the consumer on so many fronts, connecting bourbon to food, to cocktails. And the beauty is, is when you step back, there's no better place in the world to do this than Bardstown, where you have the home of bourbon. You've got the center of all these distilleries. You have so many great assets. And it was really about taking them, making sure that you're making everything work together in a cohesive festival. And that's where when we went out, the first change that we needed to make was in the leadership was to get somebody that could run the festival, knew how to do this, knew how to bring the community together, the sponsors, and go out and, and, and execute. And that's where we, on a national search, found Randy. And it was one of the best things that we you know, did, obviously. The leadership's got to start at the top. And that's why we're so excited um, on behalf of the board. So, Randy, how long have you been with the festival? You say it just this is your first year of it? I actually... Randomly, I wasn't even looking for a new opportunity, but New Year's Day, I was bored and I was looking online and I found this January 1st. My resume was submitted and it was fast track. So I came on. Well, I was going to say weird timing, but that's even weirder timing than I was anticipating. <laughs> it was like a month and a half before everything crashed. Oh, my, my first official day on the job, I think David, correct me if I was wrong, right around the 20th of February, 24th of February. And I literally... I was encouraged by a couple of board members to go check out the New Orleans Bourbon Festival. Got to be dear, dear friends with those folks. Uh, they've been up here a couple of different times. But so I booked my flight, got my hotel. I was on the way to the airport when Tracy Napolitano, the director of New Orleans, called me and said the mayor pulled the permit because of COVID. And Jazz Fest was still happening, but a lot of these things were starting to fall off and they were being fingers pointed at because it was Mardi Gras and, and they feel like that's where a lot of this started. But yeah, it was an odd time. I flew into New Orleans. Uh, the French Quarter was as it is always is. And when I left, that was a Thursday. When I left Sunday, the police were out breaking up groups. And by Monday night on the news, it looked like a hurricane was coming through without the hurricane. Yeah, I and, was uh, in Atlanta probably the same time that that was happening. It was right before the entire world shut down, you know. And I went down for a tiki festival called Inuahele. And I've got photos from that weekend with me and some people from House Alpins. And uh, we were all hanging out at Trader Vic's drinking a communal punch and a week later nobody could imagine drinking a communal punch because by the time i got the photos up you know from the festival it was we were already in the middle of the pandemic and i got some pretty nasty comments like how dare you like drink a communal beverage you know and by the time that we did it it didn't seem the world was going to burn well and the first time i ever put a mask on my face was in the airport in new orleans on the flight back and it was one of those i had to you know, i the New Orleans friends sent me home with one just in case, you know, or, but it, it, the world changed in those four or five days for sure. And, and when I came back, David and I immediately you know, kind of engaged our leadership and said, you know, we need to start looking at delaying the event. We still believe that there was going to, it was going to run its course. The curve is going to get flattened, et cetera, et cetera. So we immediately went to work on still planning a live event, but moving it back 30 days to kind of, you know, allow me to have, because with me being new, I had not even met with any of the distilleries yet. So 
that 30 days hopefully was going to put us into a little safer area as far as health wise, but it was also going to buy back 30 days of time when the distilleries were converting to hand sanitizer and their production issues were hitting. So it was not even in our minds that we were going to try to blindly just go out and start talking to these distilleries like a, like nothing was going on in the world. Right. So, um, but it, it did buy us time. Not timing, but it would give you a, a kind of an opportunity to, I guess you, you hadn't um, gotten set in your ways and, and set up a whole festival and then had to pivot a year later. Like when you came in, I mean, you kind of just had to immediately pivot from what you thought you were going to be doing. And you did this year virtually. Um, and we, again, we talked a little bit uh, before we you know, started recording today about um, there being a silver lining. And I think that there are some big silver linings when I look at your festival, because you guys put so much content online that it goes back to what I was talking about, the experiences that you can't have, you know, at, at sitting at home or in your home state. You got to kind of have this intimate experience with distillers and chefs and bartenders um is that changing the way you're thinking about how 2021 is going to operate because you know what i noticed about kind of going through um you know some of the seminars and um classes that were offered online is that when you got a chance to be inside rick houses you know you got a chance to be inside kitchens and inside bars and you know obviously well, David mentioned kind of the offsite events. I mean, that's a little bit kind of an, apart from the festival. The festival itself, you can't actually go into like Rick houses and, and do these things. So is that kind of adapting the way you're thinking about uh, 2021? Oh, it absolutely did, Ed. Um, the, there, there was nothing good that has come out of this pandemic. I, I just want to be clear on that, that it's a very serious thing. But what it did allow us to do was to create this virtual opportunity the master distillers, these the icons of the industry, normally under a September October time frame, would have been traveling all over the country and the world, doing what they do, and the brand ambassadors representing the brands. And what COVID did was they, it grounded them, it kept them close to home. We had access to every one of them. Uh, they were all excited about this, about the concept, but they were a little reluctant when they walked in. You could see it in their face that they were expecting me with my iPhone to be shooting this video content. And what they walked into was a full television production set uh, with various different backgrounds in the distilleries. So Bardstown Bourbon Company was gracious enough to literally offer us any space we wanted to use for our backdrop. So 98% of those segments that you can see on our YouTube channel were, were shot there. That makes sense because I thought I recognized the bar setting in the back there. <laughs> you know, and, and, and the other distilleries, we were a little concerned that maybe if we were at, at Maker's Mark, maybe a Jim Beam wouldn't feel comfortable about going. And, you know, and the reality is these master distillers, and the, they're all best friends. I mean, they all go out to dinner and they all collaborate. And it's, you know, they, they scratch and, and claw for every little inch of retail space, but they're actually very good friends. And, and it's, it's, a, it's the collaboration in this industry is something I've never experienced before. It's nothing like it anywhere. Um, but it allowed me that one-on-one -on -one time, even after we're done shooting and you know, we're kind of uh, wrapping up for the day and they're getting ready to leave and go back to work. The relationships from those videos that we shot ended up yielding, and we haven't announced it completely public, but it's not like a hype security thing, but we've got a dozen distilleries offering barrels for us. So I guess in a lot of ways, you and your listeners are hearing it first, but for the 30th anniversary, we've got a dozen different distilleries that are 
have allocated a barrel for us to be bottled and labeled as a 30th anniversary commemorative piece that will be going out to retail in, beginning in June through the event in September. So none of that would have happened, I believe, without having interactions with Bill and Rob Samuels and with uh, you know Connor O'Driscoll and with Denny Potter and Steve Nally. I mean, everybody was just so supportive on how can we play a role in helping you, your vision, uh, be executed next year. So if there is a silver lining, the opportunity for me to have those interactions was worth uh, some of the minor challenges that we had to overcome this year financially, you know, but um, you were talking about kind of those all those special releases, you know, being a big driver of these sorts of things. Well, and then, uh, you know, Randy just mentioned Bardstown Bourbon Company, where you were a founder and, and former CEO. Um, but it is like the whole concept of that place is based on collaboration between distillers and and so how does how does that kind of fit in with I mean, apart from what Randy just addressed, you know, and with the uh, Bardstown, I'm sorry, with the uh, Kentucky Bourbon Fest and then also um, just kind of Bardstown as a, as a, a destination? It is a fundamental piece. I mean, it, it is that collaboration in the spirit. And Randy touched on it. It is very true. And we saw it and we really tried to capture that spirit in, in creating Bardstown Bourbon Company. But it, this is an industry unlike many others where the companies really do work together. You know, for example, when Heaven Hill had its fire in the 90s, everybody banded together to help them. You know, if we needed a part or something broke, you know, our maintenance team could call Jim Beam's maintenance team and they'll help run it over. I mean, you don't see this kind of support because really at the end of the day, not only is it supporting the bourbon industry, but it comes down to the community. And Bardstown as a community um, is incredibly collaborative. Everybody works together. They want to see, you know, the community uh, thrive. And so the festival plays a really important role in that. And so, you know, the festival, as much as it is a great bourbon festival that we're creating, it's also an economic catalyst. And it's one that is going to support the futures um, and, you know, for the many residents, 10,000 plus residents that live here. And that's an interesting piece because as we and Randy and I and the board have talked about the changes that we're making, we're also getting the community to understand that, you know what, this is not about having a party for yourself. This is about bringing the people from around the world that are real interested in bourbon, want to learn about bourbon, but excited about it and providing them an experience that they can't get anywhere else. So it's changing us from being participants to being hosts. It doesn't mean you can't go. It's not what we're saying, but it's a very different mentality. This is not just party time for everybody, run out you know, and go out to the festival and forget about what your role is. Our role as citizens of this community and the industry are to bring people in, work together, you know, community, industry, to provide the most unique experience you can. That's the foundation. That's where it's headed. And COVID provided us the opportunity, as Randy said, to really um, have the time to begin to develop this further. And that's what's so exciting. And it just turns out that this happens to be our 30th anniversary. So it's lining up well. Right. You, you know, I like what you said, you know, being uh, switching from a participant to a host. We've kind of, I think that uh, magnifying glass has been placed on that aspect because of coronavirus. Indianapolis is seen as a big sports town, and we obviously didn't have sports this year. Um, and I think the mentality was the same prior. You know, we hosted the Big Ten tournament here, uh, at, you know, Final Four, these things with college basketball. And 
you know, it's a, it's a reason for everybody to go out and party. And I mean, obviously those of us in the hospitality industry hate it. It's just a lot of work, but, uh, you know, it's, it is, it's a reason to go party. But now that we've seen all these shutdowns, you know, now we see everybody really kind of standing behind trying to get the whole tournament to Indianapolis, you know, as again, the whole city kind of feels like a host now, uh, much like it did when we hosted the Super Bowl. like everybody was helping the out of towners. You know, I remember walking down the street one day and a guy from New York said, Hey, I'm, I'm looking for whatever restaurant he was looking for. And I said, well, I'm going that way. Just you can walk with me. I'm going up to two blocks. I'll show you where it's at. And he just looked at me and said, are you guys always like this? Or is it just because there's a bunch of out of town? Yes. You know, everybody's so friendly here in the Midwest. And I think that plays into it as well. I mean, you guys are certainly Midwestern and, you know, being able to host an event like this, like you said, 10,000 people, um, you know, it's, it's not a huge city and you really get to see the hospitality of a town that's kind of based its economy and business largely around bourbon. Um, I, I did want to bounce back to a point that Randy had a moment ago when we were talking about the YouTube programming for 2020 and, and coronavirus. Um, so I, one thing that I just kind of thought of when I was looking through, I, I went back again through some of your videos last night, been a little while, I guess you put them up a couple months ago or a month ago. Um, but how is the number of views kind of affected? Is that making you rethink some of the programming for next year? Because you can start to see what's more popular and what's not. You know, I noticed that some of those videos had much lower views than other ones. Like the, I mean, the ones with Russell's had tons of views, uh, no surprise there. And then uh, there was a few, I can't remember what, I think the one I watched in its entirety last night again was the Rick House one. That's why I mentioned that earlier. You know, that was a great right. video. Well, um, I think we all learned that the virtual patch uh, is not going to be a short-term piece. We actually just, I've had probably two hours worth of meetings last week with our content developer, Steve Coombs, and, and our new social media um, and public relations firms that we're kind of working with going forward. And so we're actually talking about doing a monthly five-minute type of a quick hit video piece to keep, I mean, the content that we did, we feel is evergreen, as long as the, as long as the presenters don't all of a sudden change, and they do, they change, go from one distillery to another, but up until then, the technology and a lot of the things that they talked about is going to be evergreen. So um, the viewership was uh, amazing. And that's another one of those silver lining pieces is I could have had any one of those combinations of, of presenters, the experts sitting uh, at the festival on a stage on a Saturday afternoon, and we might have had 30, 40, 50 people stand there watching it. And, and even the low end, we've got 10 times that. There's three, 400 people that have watched some of those. There's upwards 12, 1300 people that have watched. So we really looked at this as you can't come to our living rooms and be here in the live. So let us bring our festival to your living room. It's audience building. We're at one point as we're ramping up, we're getting three, four hundred people new signed up to our like our e-blast. And, and actually, we're discovering us for the first time that had no idea that we had existed. So in that sense, we are and I've kind of joked internally that we are a, we feel like a first year festival with a 29 year history now getting into our 30th. But in a lot of ways, we are a new young event that people are just discovering. So again, the YouTube channel, the COVID, our, our need to pivot to the virtual side of things absolutely was an audience builder that hopefully we can now, you know, cultivate that fruit and harvest and, and have more people that are going to be coming to our events. But they're certainly going to find out about us. They're going to be getting the e-blasts and, and learn about the 30th and all the things we have in store. So again, silver linings, 
some some people, some industries don't have them. Uh, I think the distilling industry, the spirits industry, and certainly with us, with the festival and that relationship, um, I don't know if it's a silver lining, but we we had a pile of lemons handed to us. And we made some pretty good uh, lemonade this year, I think. So, so when is the um, festival slotted for for 2021? At least at the moment, right? We, we have no idea what's going to happen. We made the decision looking at all of the factors, our our history, uh, as well as competition from other events and other things going on in the market. But we actually, at the end of the day, went back to our traditional weekend, um, the third weekend of September. So it'll be the 16th to the 19th. We just announced that here about uh, two weeks ago, and we've got some more announcements coming up in the in the next uh, week or two uh, concerning the 30th. But we planted our our flag on this on the traditional date, and I think that's really important for a lot of reasons. It's important for the community and for the hoteliers and the retail and the restaurateurs to to know. It's important for the traveling public. They're already pressuring, you know, wanting to know when the dates were so they could start making reservations. And I mean, look, people want to travel, and I, I feel like the number one, as far as statistics, the Northwoods, the beach type, isolated type vacations are number one. Number two is small town rural America, which is us. And then third and fourth down the road are going to be more of the larger metro areas and sporting events and large gatherings. So we're kind of in that sweet spot of of it's small town, it's rural, people uh, feel comfortable about it. And we're going to, we're still going to be very, very in touch with public safety and health concerns going forward. And I think that's just going to be part of what we do from here on out. So 2020 wasn't a blip that, oh, we have to put a mask on and hand sanitize. I believe that a lot of those things are going to continue through the festival and event industry in general. So, and I don't think that's a bad thing necessarily. And Ed, I would just say too, we really appreciate you helping us get the word out and spreading the word about the festival. And you can go to kybourbonfestival.com to learn more about it. Um, find us on Instagram and on Facebook. But I'll tell you, you know, we have taken for granted, I think, as a community for a long time that everybody knows what this festival is. And it's funny, you know, I had dinner with somebody um, not too long ago, and they said, you know, I had never heard about the festival in, in Bardstown, and they were from Louisville. You know, and Randy had the same experience in talking to people. And, you know, as a community, you tend to think that everybody knows about you. And the fact of the matter is you don't. And we want to really spread the word that not only we are new and we are making changes, if you've been before, we're really telling people that there is this incredible opportunity right in your backyard. As you look at the Bourbon Trail, now 1.2 million visitors coming through every year. 50% of that traffic comes from four states right around Kentucky. And so there's still a tremendous amount of growth out there in the United States um, as we begin to build the trail into the next Napa Valley. Well, that's what I was going to address. I'm glad you you mentioned that. Randy mentioned kind of planting the flag in the fall for the uh, for the date, but that is an amazing time to be in the Midwest, particularly in bourbon country, because the fall is amazingly beautiful. And visiting some of these distilleries, you couldn't paint, you know you couldn't paint this beautifully with the fall colors. You know, we've got all the trees turning, the dogwoods, everything. It's just, it's really an amazing time to, to be there. But additionally, it's really kind of amazing place to be in general. Um, you were talking about kind of popping over and, and doing the bourbon trail for those that have not kind of been into this area of Kentucky. Can you kind of give a little bit of a, of a overview of what 
you know, the area looks like and, you know, what you might experience, you know, in, in this various towns? Oh, absolutely. And, you know, the Bourbon Trail really has had remarkable growth. Um, and it's basically going from one experience to the next. But the trail, which is owned by the Kentucky Distillers Association, a partner of ours in the festival, an excellent group, you know, it represents the distilleries, starts really in the no- northern part of above Louisville and continues down through Louisville, down to Bardstown, and then around to Lexington and then back up. And it makes almost a triangle with some offshoots as it has grown to other distilleries. But it has this incredible ability to, to plan the trip, to fly into Louisville, fly into Lexington, drive through. And in Bardstown, what you have is you have what is we have been called one of the most beautiful small towns in America. And we get that designation you know, basically every year. This beautiful center of the city, you're right in the rural community, you know, downtown that is honestly it's like walking into a hallmark movie i was out just this weekend you got santa claus in the middle of the square waving to people you know as they're driving around the circle and honking we have a christmas parade unfortunately they weren't able to have it downtown last year that literally is like stepping into you know a hallmark movie i mean it's it's unbelievable um but you have quaint charming and you have the you know the beautiful connection to bourbon and its history. So I would tell folks, if you have not been to the bourbon trail, um, it is, uh, it is an incredible experience and it is much like what Napa, you know, had been developing 20 years ago. I think we're about 10 years behind them in terms of development, but it's coming. The money's there. The investment is there. You're looking at, you know, over 1.3 billion already committed in projects over the next five years. It is stunning in terms of where we're headed. It's a beautiful drive any time of year. I've I've been down during the winter, fall, spring, summer, all of the above. And fall is my favorite, but I mean, there's certainly nothing that beats Kentucky in the in the summer and spring as well. And um, it, it is quite a uh, trip. You know, you've kind of got to pick and choose where you're going to go. Um, but you you the connections and parallels with Napa Valley or even wine country in general in California. Like it takes all the best parts of that, but it keeps the rusticity of it. You know, like there are. You don't see like the super modern tasting rooms quite yet. You know, like you said, maybe it's about 10 years behind. Hopefully it doesn't go too much to that edge because it's really still feels very uh, authentic. And, you know, I've a couple of those distilleries. I mean, you have to, you know, directions like turned off the paved road, you know, and that still exists there. And I, I love that. I, I, but it is shocking kind of the first time when you're driving, like, am I supposed to be here? Is this someone's driveway? You know, but, but bourbon tourism uh, and the investments that the distilleries are making in that part of the experience. It's not just increasing the production and, and doing the construction projects that helps them produce more liquid, but it's also the interactive experiences, the educational experiences, the, the adding the, the culinary piece to it, the overall, uh, I mean, the, the millions and millions of dollars that are, that are being invested for projects right now. So, I mean, even you know, I've always, when I kind of was in downtown Milwaukee in economic development, one of the sure signs of a strong economy were the stick cranes throughout, you know, new development. And here you see the rickhouses being built as fast as they can build them and and filling them as, as fast as they're putting the last, you know, hinge on a door, they're being filled. And uh, so, I mean, the industry on both sides of, of from the production side is amazingly growth, but on the experience and the investment and, and the, I mean, you're seeing uh, rooms, accommodations, in addition to the culinary component, you're also now seeing 
select distilleries that are investing in the the overnight stays and 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 adding to the inventory of of the hotels and motels that are in the area because we all know that that's a challenge. Uh, we can fill the motels and hotel rooms as quickly as the distilleries can fill the rickhouses as they build them. And but there is that balance between the being an, a kind of a rustic, quaint feel but real close to the, the Louisville and the Lexington metro areas in a, in a four hour drive from virtually, you know, we're in the center of the, of the country here. So, uh, but there is a balance. I, I'm sure that they don't want to, you know, kind of sell out to the point where it's, you lose its charm, but it's a growing industry that doesn't show any signs of slowing down. So well, it sounds like they're kind of the whole industry in, in the area is kind of facing the same challenges of growth that you're talking about, you know, previously with the, with the festival is, you know, you're kind of catching up, getting everything ready, accommodating people. And, you know, that's certainly been, um, it's a, we, we want everybody to be safe and, you know, not hitting eight distilleries in a day and, you know, you're completely hammered by the fifth one. Uh, I think the distilleries do a pretty good job of, of, you know, keeping their tastings to reasonable levels. Um, you know, obviously with spirits, it's a little different than wine. No, they do. They do a very good job. The KDA does an incredible job with, uh, ensuring that we have a responsible drinking framework across uh, the trail, but it comes down to the, the distilleries, and and there is nothing more important at each one of these distilleries as safety, you know, and making sure that people are being careful. And we're taking the same uh, precautions at the festival as well. And I think that is, you know, one of the things that Randy has been focused on that we uh, make sure that people are really allowed to engage and participate and enjoy but it's done carefully and it's really about you know celebrating these really unique products and spirit and less about just mass consumption that's not what we're looking for uh, we want that real authentic um experience and that's what we're driving towards. i think that's the kind of keyword uh, you know i've gotten from both of you especially randy you know the experience you know uh, a lot of the interactivity and being able to communicate with the distillers and all that and you said even that's happening with the distilleries and as they kind of update their tasting rooms and such and i've i've noticed that as well obviously again you know 30 years ago there was no bourbon tourism or very little bourbon tourism, you know. Randy, have you ever done the the kind of brewery tour in Amsterdam of, of Heineken? I have not. It's totally experience-based. Like, they hardly even talk about, um, like, production um, because they know that the people that are there are kind of there to... They've had Heineken. They know what it tastes like, you know, and they're, so they are very experience-driven on, like, they get into production, but it's more immersive. Um, it's almost like a, being at a, a fun park ride. And um, it's, I thought it was a really interesting departure from what you typically see at a brewery, like here's our mash, here's the fermenting tanks. And, and so I, I really think that kind of experience in that, again, it, I don't want to harp on this, but what you did for 2020, you know, um, you were able to kind of take your lemons and make lemonade um, with, the, with the virtual festival. And I think that it will drive a lot of people down to in-person. And you said there's a, a, a pent up, desire to travel and especially in cars you know we're in indianapolis where like three major interstate highways connect and so we're starting to see i'm right off of of i-65 <clears throat> my thai restaurant is and we're seeing a lot of people just drop in grab some food and go and we're seeing from new york chicago ohio just people that are pent up they want to get in a car and just go somewhere so this you know hopefully we are aren't talking about the coronavirus in September and, you know, early October when this festival happens. Hopefully that's done. 
we're vaccinated. It's a small seasonal problem for us and that we can actually um, get out and, and be a little bit closer to one another. But um, you're certainly prepared, if, if not, it sounds like, um, to tackle those challenges. Where can people find the information? You, you, David mentioned there's an, a, an email blast. Um, and then, of course, we have websites and all those things we want to point everybody to. Well, I mean, I encourage everyone to go check out kybourbonfestival.com. Uh, it has been updated daily since the event actually ended in October, the virtual event. So it's not going to be one of those websites where you look at it and it looks like typical festivals that just once the, the event is done, they forget about it for months. Uh, and actually, this week, we've got a couple of upgrades uh that will be uh, introduced to reflect the 2021 looking forward. Um, so, but we're also on all of the main social media platforms, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, there is the YouTube channel, KY, uh, Kentucky Bourbon Festival YouTube channel where people can get a sense for the what we're trying to do. Uh, and it's not just the educational pieces, which are also fun, but we also like the cocktail quickies and some play, play along at home kind of things that we're, we're gonna continue to push forward. So there'll be new content being added to that YouTube channel uh, in the months ahead as well. And we're, we're doing some really cool things with these these barrels that I touched on earlier, where we're going to be looking at doing some pick uh, selection panel opportunities, so people can kind of for fundraiser get you know buy their way onto their choice of these distillery barrel picks. So that'll be coming out going forward, and we'll also have some footage for people who have never been on a pick that want to know what it's like. We'll have some of that content going forward too. But uh, really excited about it. I have to tell you, David, it sure sounds like you are. Uh... You got the right organizer for this festival. It's he's got so many ideas. I can just see his brain exploding. Like I can't wait for 2022, 2023. 100%. And you know, like any good organization, the leadership starts at the top. Um, and that's, that's where we're, we were making our investment is in our leader and it's been a pleasure. And we're really excited to bring this to uh, everybody for the 30th anniversary. And, and this love fest, Ed is not, this is a daily love fest that David and I have. It, it really is. And I just told someone the other day, we're, uh, we have a board meeting today. And uh, David, is. I've been doing nonprofits and working with, with and for board chairs for 30 years. And David Barnon is the best one as far as leadership and vision and you know, encouraging me and enabling me to do what I need to do. You know, boards, I love boards, but there's sometimes board of directors and it's the death by committee kind of thing. David is absolutely the right person at the right time to be partnered up with, with me for us to be able to do what we need to do right now. So thank you, David. I'm very excited about it as well. I, I, like you said, it sounds like you're putting on a first year festival that in its 30th year. And Anybody that's out there listening definitely needs to check this out. Go to the websites, go to the YouTube channels. I think it's a really good taste of what you're going to see. And uh, I'm really looking forward to kind of seeing what it becomes over the next uh, several years. And, and just, uh, you know, it's prime. And hopefully you will join us, Ed. We will hope, hopefully you'll be there with us. Absolutely. Like I said, you're not far. You're not far from us. So it just takes, uh, it just takes getting a few days off work. <laughs> I'm coming through your area, Ed, after Christmas, so I'll stop off at 65 on my way to Milwaukee. I'll stop by and say hi to you in person. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And we have, we've, uh, well, so we also own a tiki bar next door called the Inferno Room, and um, our kind of resident artist um, is a guy named Dave Hansen, goes by uh, Lake Tiki Woodcrafts, and he's based, based in Milwaukee. He's, he's the lake surfer. He actually goes out and his nickname in the Tiki community is Lake Surfer. Well, I'll definitely, I'll, I'll stop by on the way through. I mean that. Absolutely. Well, I look forward to it and I, I'm easy to find. And uh, gentlemen, thank you for coming on the show. It's really fun to talk about the festivals and, and kind of, you know, put our place in that, uh, 
or put ourselves in that mental place again where at a time where we can join together again and there's no better way to do that than with a glass of bourbon gentlemen happy holidays thank you ed and we're looking forward to 2021 absolutely and again everybody check out uh, kybourbonfestival.com and on their socials and you can find us at shiftdrinkpodcast.com gentlemen enjoy the rest of your afternoon cheers